Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We are currently in a series called Kingdom Come. We will be looking at passages at the end of Luke where Jesus prepared his followers on how to live and partner with the work of God's kingdom. Join us now as we dive into another passage. The other question they often ask is, have you ever met the Queen of England? It's a fair question, right? Have you ever met the Queen of England? And you know, I think Americans probably have more of a fascination with the British royalty than the British actually have themselves. But in case you're wondering, the answer is, yes, I have met the Queen of England. Just over 40 years ago, the Queen was visiting my hometown, or what was my hometown then, Poole, which is on the south coast of England. And as with many, or any visit of the Queen, there were huge preparations made. You know, the streets were cleaned, the gardens were prepped, they got out the bunting, the flags were raised, flowers were bought, um, streets were closed off, they brought an extra police, of course, and then everyone who was going to meet her dressed up in their best clothes, and they brushed up on their manners and their royal etiquette, of course. As an aside, in case you ever should have the chance to meet the queen, the correct behavior for men is just a simple neck bow. Okay, so neck bow from the neck, not from the waist, all right? And of course, for a woman, it's a small curtsy. Okay, I can't curtsy very well, but it's a curtsy, all right? (laughs) But this is only for British subjects, not ex-colonial rebels. So be warned, all right? (laughs) Others simply, uh, they just shake hands with her, but, 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 don't reach out your hand to shake her hand let her reach out her hand towards you, okay? Just some little tips for you. Well, with the preparations in Poole finally made, it happened. The Queen arrived. The local paper wrote this. The visit began quietly at 12.59 a.m. on Friday, March 23rd, when the royal train stopped overnight. We don't have a royal plane. We have a royal train, of course. Stopped overnight in railway sidings just west of Wareham. It was watched by 143 railway enthusiasts, and a dog. Uh, The train arrived in Poole at 10 a.m. in sunny weather, where the Queens were greeted by station master Jack Hurley, who was to retire the next month after 48 years. The Queen and Prince Philip were then taken by car to officially open Poole Arts Centre, which had been operating since the previous year. Well, guess who happened to be taking a pottery class in Poole Arts Centre that day? My mum. Yes, mum, not mom. My mum happened to be taking a pottery class. And as I was three years old at the time, guess who happened to be tagging along with my mum? Me. So there I was. And so on Friday, March 23rd, that morning, 1979, Jonathan Bennett met his royal monarch for the one and only time, at least so far. Well, to be fair, it wasn't much of a meeting, but I was at least in the same room as her, and that was plenty, of me, uh, plenty for me, and it was good enough to dine out on for the rest of my life, at least in America. I wonder what you would do if you were about to meet the Queen, or laying aside any political differences, of course, you're about to meet the President of the United States, or maybe the Governor of South Carolina, or the Mayor of Charleston. Has anyone ever met royalty? Raise a hand if you've ever met royalty. We got one Dorian over there. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Anybody ever met the president? Yes, yes. Okay. He's not sure. Is that? You, I'd have to shoot you if you told me. You're in the same room. Okay. So you've met the president. Anybody ever met the governor of South Carolina? Anybody? Okay. It was pretty cool. Recently, he was at a funeral right here. Governor Master was right there in that building. Um, anybody ever met the mayor of Charleston? I've definitely met the mayor of Charleston. Excellent. Okay, so maybe as you were preparing to meet them, depending on the level of their 
uh, importance you prepared too. Hopefully, you maybe you put on your best clothes, maybe you fixed your hair, perhaps you just made sure you set an alarm to be on time, all right? You got ready. You got ready to meet with them. Well, in today's reading from Luke's Gospel, we hear Jesus encouraging his followers to get ready for a very special visit. It is the visit of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in other words, himself. He's going to be coming back. It's what, the, uh, what Christians call the second coming of Jesus. And this week, as we continue going through the Gospel of Luke, in, in particular, this passage known the Olivet Discourse, which we're bringing to a close, we hear Jesus teaching his disciples about this awesome event. And I mean awesome, not in the sense of the word that we typically use it, where we say something like, oh man, that was an awesome cheeseburger, okay? Or, or that was an awesome rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody. No, I mean awesome in the real sense of awesome awesome, which is an extremely impressive or daunting and inspiring great admiration, apprehension, or fear. This is the kind of awe that Jesus' return will inspire. Two weeks ago, Chris Warner started us out on this this discourse where Jesus explained that the huge, magnificent, even awesome temple, correct use, that stood for 500 years in the center of Jerusalem would soon be destroyed. Life as they know it for the disciples will turn upside down and they'll experience earthquakes and floods and famines and fires and persecution and martyrdom and yes, even pandemics. Jesus is showing them, as Chris taught us, that he's teaching Christians ever since as well how to live when everything around us seems out of control and there is no getting back to normal. It was a very appropriate message. Last week I preached on part two of the Olivet Discourse and we saw how Jesus' return will be unmistakable and awesome for the, uh, for the believer and for the unbeliever. For the unbeliever, it will be a terrifying event. But for the believer that's ready, it will be a cause for great joy because our redemption will finally be complete. Well, this week, we'll look at what it means to get ready for the day when Jesus returns. And last week, I shared how there's this popular bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy, right? And it's kind of funny, and it's actually though what a lot of people do, sadly. They busy themselves with activities, they miss the point of the Christian faith, perhaps because of FOMO, that's fear of missing out, but also in hopes of saving themselves should this second coming thing actually happen to be real. Well, today I want to suggest that a much better bumper sticker would be this. Jesus is coming, get ready. Jesus is coming, get ready. That people then and now are called by Jesus to prepare themselves for his return, not simply to wait passively for the hope of heaven. You know, the signs are there to be seen, so wake up and get ready. So let's turn to our gospel reading for today, and let's see what God would say to us through his word. You can find it on the screens, or you're welcome to pull out your Bibles, or your Bible phone app if you want to follow along. First of all then, the signs are there to be seen. As we've talked about the last few weeks, the context for our reading is that it's Passover week. It's the Tuesday of Passover week. It's a few days before Jesus is going to die. And his words are becoming more and more prophetic. He is speaking truth into the present about what's happening. And he's speaking truth into the future. It's what we call the telescoping effect of prophecy. Okay, It's got words for now and words for the future. And so in Luke 21, we have Jesus saying this. Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, growing up in England, one of the worst seasons of the year is, of course, winter. Winter drags out for months and months and months. It's not like here where you get a week in February and then you go, okay, we're done with winter. It actually happens to last typically from about November all the way through maybe mid-March. Maybe in mid-March you get your first day of warm weather. Sometimes it's not till mid-May though. And you start to get some blue skies. And instead of the dreary cold winds and rain, the, the sun appears. Well, with the blue si- uh, skies come all kinds of signs of new life. Buds on the trees, flowers starting to shoot up, new animals, cute baby lambs appearing in the fields. And these signs remind people that there is hope that winter will eventually come to an end and that summer will happen. Well, the parable Jesus shares is similar. It's meant to remind the disciples and give them hope that this age will pass. All the bad things that are happening will pass and he will return. And so he tells them to look out for these signs of his second coming. And he's telling them, in other words, you shouldn't be surprised when these things happen and when the second coming happens. Listen to what Paul writes in our epistle today, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So for those who choose not to follow Jesus, who turn their back on him, the second coming is going to come like a thief in the night. What does that mean, though? Well, a helpful example for me is that it seems that every few months on Daniel Island, and maybe it happens in your neighborhoods if you don't live here, we have a spate of car thefts, right? You notice that maybe you go to the most interesting section of the local paper, the police blotter. Ever read that part, right? And you discover that, wow, there were a spate of car thefts. I had no idea what happened. And it's not that the thieves are picking the locks of the cars or smashing the windows. They're simply walking up and seeing if the doors are open at nighttime. They go along, they see, they, they go, oh yeah, the door's open, and they start to explore around in your car. And for some people, they'll, they'll take their laptops if they've left them in there, they'll take their phones, even guns that have been left in there. Now you would think that, given how often this happens, people would lock their cars and take out their valuables at night, right? But we're quick to forget, aren't we? Or we're careless, or we're just obtuse. And so it is with many people who hear the gospel. The warning may be given, the signs may be there, but they just don't really believe it will ever happen. Remember last week, the temptation to go, la, 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 la. That's what people are doing. For the follower of Jesus, though, his return, Jesus' return, should not be unexpected. There is no cover of darkness for the thief to come and surprise us. It's as if you've got those big floodlights all around your house all night long. There are no cracks or places for anyone to creep up and to sneak into your car. We live in the bright light of Jesus Christ. So no no thief should surprise us. And we wait. In fact, we long for the second coming. We even pray for it to happen soon. While people might be saying, I don't want the end of the world to come, we're saying the opposite. Yes, Lord, bring the end of the world because then we know that your goodness will come and there'll be an end to all this pain and suffering. And so all the while, we prepare ourselves to meet with him. But what does it mean to prepare ourselves? Knowing what we know about the second coming, what's the right way to live now? Well, that brings us to the second part of our passage. You see, the signs are there to be seen. So now he says, wake up and get ready. 
I remember as a teenager having the chance to visit the Houses of Parliament in London, England. Now, I'd had an interest in politics for a long time, and so this was particularly exciting to me because I heard that my high school was planning a trip. They were planning a day trip from Hereford to London. As I, as I explained already, that's a long way from um, London. So we had to get up really early to do this. So that meant setting an alarm the day before in order that I would wake up in time to get to the bus station, to get on the bus, to get to London with all my classmates. Well, unfortunately... I forgot to set the alarm, (laughs) and so I overslept. Now, I woke up right at the time the bus was supposed to be leaving. So I got up, I frantically threw on some clothes, I went downstairs, woke up my mom in her room, said, Mom, you got to drive me to the bus station as quickly as possible. So we jumped in the car, we drove the 10 minutes to the bus station in about five minutes, and we got there, no bus to be seen. The bus was long gone, probably 20 miles down the road already. They hadn't waited for me, why would they wait? They didn't wait. We didn't have cell phones, but then we couldn't call them. They just assumed I wasn't coming. And so until this, uh, to this day, I have still never toured the Houses of Parliament. Now, for many people, this is going to be a similar experience for when Jesus returns. They will not have made the necessary preparations. And so they will not be ready to actually meet with their Lord. And when the second coming happens, it's going to be a fearful event. They will not end up heading to the place that their heart truly longs for, the new heaven and the new earth. No, they're going to head to the place of eternal torment and suffering. And this is what Jesus is trying to prevent as he says the following words in Luke 21. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is giving us, and anyone who listen, three basic instructions, all right? Number one, watch yourselves. Number two, stay awake. And number three, pray. Watch yourselves, stay awake, pray. First of all, watch yourselves. According to verse 34, this is all about avoiding the temptations of self-indulgence and indifference and becoming absorbed in worldly affairs. I wonder, do you ever struggle with those things? Right? Yeah, me too. Okay. The thing is, when we eat too much, when we drink too much alcohol or overindulge in life's pleasures, it reveals our hearts. We've taken good things and we've turned them into idols, hoping that they will satisfy us in the way that God only can. It's not that those things are bad in themselves. They're good. It's just when we take them to excess, what we're doing is we're depending on those things rather than God. And when we get consumed with the cares of this life, you know, our money, our jobs, our schoolwork, our relationships, our sports teams, our politics, we become distracted with what really matters. And that is the pursuit of God's kingdom. I mean, how often, think about this, right? How often do you get to the end of the day and you realize that you haven't once thought of God You haven't once talked to him. You haven't once prayed with him or read his word or prayed for someone else who's going through a difficult situation. I know I do, and so I'm guessing you guys do too. You realize, oh man, what am I doing? We all too easily lose, lose focus on the main thing, which is Jesus. And he tells us he is coming back. As Kent Hughes puts it, we must not be numbed numbed by all the earthbound secular voices that say that life will go on and on and on it will not all of life is moving towards him 
and his second coming. Or as Paul writes in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this part. All things were created through him and for him. And so we are to stay awake. We're supposed to keep looking upwards. We watch ourselves, but we look out for his coming, renouncing self-centered worldly passions and replacing them with godly passions. We seek to have great marriages. We seek to be people who love our neighbors the best out of anyone else in our community. We seek to have awesome communal worship. We want to do incredible service towards others, have amazing relationships with people, have wonderful compassion for the lost and the broken. These are right passions. And as we experience these rightly directed passions, we avoid falling into some kind of just distracted slumber in our lives, forgetting that Jesus is coming back. And we stay awake, getting ready for his return and helping as many others around us to wake up from their slumber. Wake up, we say. So we watch ourselves, we stay awake, and finally we devote ourselves to prayer. We pray for Jesus' return. We pray for those who don't know him to be rescued. And we pray for ourselves to be strengthened, that we might stand firm in the face of great opposition from the world around us and from the devil himself, who would love to see us stumble and fall. It's not just coincidence that Jesus teaches us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray that daily, friends. You know, when Jesus returns, we want him to look at us and say these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then to welcome us into the new heaven and the new earth that he's created for his people. I wonder, is this your life's goal, friends? Is this what motivates you as you get up each day? The return of Jesus and the chance to spend eternity with him in the place that you were created for. If not, just a gentle warning you may be a sleep friend. And Jesus would say, wake up, wake up and get ready. I am coming back and the signs are here to be seen. Yes, we do get to live life to the full right now as Christians, but on that glorious day when he returns on the clouds, only those who follow him will experience everything that they have ever hoped for. Well, as we come to the close in this brief series in Jesus' Olivet Discourse, I want to end by just encouraging us all Just stop a moment and think about it. That As Jesus says these words in Luke 21, he knows what lies ahead. He knows that three days later, he's going to be unjustly killed. He knows that within a year, his disciples are going to be facing persecution and for many generations to come as well. He knows that within 40 years, Jerusalem itself will be destroyed, the temple as well, and the world will be experiencing wars and earthquakes and famines and, yes, diseases. In other words, everything his disciples know will be turned upside down. But, and it's a big but, because of the first of these events, the one that will happen three days later, his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection three days later, we can have hope even in the most trying of circumstances. Not this wishful thinking kind of hope, oh, I hope that happens one day, but a hope that's grounded in the truth of the gospel and the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. It's a knowing hope, knowing it will happen. And so we press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
As commentator Daryl Bock writes, Christ's followers need to have resolve to endure. A resolve that grows in the face of the assurance that God will indeed do what he has promised. He will vindicate his children. Thus, we must continue to walk with trust. Friends, get ready. The king is coming. Long live the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us that resolve right now, even in the most uh, difficult of circumstances where we might be tempted to give up. Lord, would you help us to trust in you, to be a people of your second coming, knowing that you are coming. Help us to stay awake. Help us to prepare ourselves and to be a people of prayer, trusting in you and trusting in your return. Wake us up, Lord God. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.